Hey, good morning. Good morning. Welcome home. So glad you're here. Kids, it's time for Children's Church. Go, go. Have a great time. Um, Revelation chapter 3. We got a lot to do this morning, so we're going to jump right in. Revelation chapter 3. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them there. Um, <clears throat> you can feel free to use one of the ones that are under the seats in front of you. Um, if you need a Bible at home, that's yours to keep for only three easy payments of $5.99. So, no, it's free. Just seeing if you're listening. Take it with you if you like. <clears throat> We're in our series on the book of Revelation, and it's called Live Ready. Live Ready. And today, Jesus is speaking to the church in Sardis. We're looking to his uh, letters to the churches. And this is the church that was not ready. Not ready. So we want to learn from them. <clears throat> Take two fingers, if you would. Place some right here. Okay. College guys on your own neck, please. You got to watch them. Uh, let me know if you don't feel a pulse. Okay. If it's just really faint, men, we have to remember that gravy is not a beverage. Okay. <laughs> now, uh, when Jesus wants to check our, for a pulse, he doesn't put his fingers on our neck. He doesn't put his fingers on our wrist. He puts his fingers on our soul uh, to see if his spirit is moving, not to see if our blood is moving um, and whether there's life flowing through us. And some of us might be um, surprised at what he finds. Um, whether we realize it or not, whether we realize it or not, we are all on a massive, epic life quest. That's what our lives are, uh, a life quest, a never-ending search for life, real life, or more of it. Isn't that what we, what we want? Isn't that what we do? Isn't that why many of us live here in Gunnison, right? Um, because, it, you know, they call it God's country. We, we love the natural surroundings. We love uh, creation. We love the recreational aspects of it. We like the slow uh, pace of life. We came here seeking a higher quality of what? Life. Higher better quality of life. That's the decision that many decided to come to school here, to raise their families here, to live here. And in this life quest, we look for life in, in many, many things. We can look for life in our work, the things that we accomplish, the things that we earn. We can look for life in our family, our friends, those we love and enjoy spending time with. We can look for life in our recreation, whether it's skiing or hunting. By the way, I just got back from hunting. Do you see this? Yeah, you can breathe easy. All the animals are safe with me out there. We can look for it in our recreation. We can look for it in um, all kinds of ways, forms of escape. That might be weekends or vacations or trips or um, alcohol and drugs and partying. Escape from the norm. We are looking for life. We can even hope to find life in being active in church. You know, coming here, um, doing things related to church. And some of those things are good and some of those things are bad. But if we hope to really find life there, then we might have fit bodies. We might have smiling faces, full garages, uh, big bank accounts, and, and, and a lot of fun. But life? No. No. When Jesus puts the fingers, uh, his fingers on the pulse of our heart to see if our if, if his spirit is moving there, even if we have all those things, even things he gave to bless our lives, if we tried to find life in them, we are going to be left empty. 
Um, and the sobering thing is here in this church in Sardis this morning, um, they are dead, even though their hearts are still beating. And Jesus is the only answer to the life quest. Um, let's open. We're going to take Revelation 3. We've been in this series like almost two and a half months, and now we're in three. We're going to start taking it chapter by chapter, so um, don't miss, because it'll be a lot. Um, we're going to take it at verse one. This message is literally a matter of life and death. I'm not overemphasizing. It's from God's word. Um, so let's hear from God, and we'll read the letter, and then we'll go back and unpack it. Um, three, one. This is Jesus speaking. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. This is Jesus describing himself. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains that is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then, what you've received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come, but like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. You still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father, and before his angels, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, some, some sobering stuff here. Some things that uh, really have an impact on who we are and how we live and how we interact with Jesus Christ. Jesus addresses three types of people in the church and in our church. And we're going to do our best to talk about all three. The dead, the sleeping, and the faithful. The dead, the sleeping, and the faithful. Uh, verse 1, let's go back and, and take a look at what, what's here. Jesus describes himself in each of these letters in a way that these, these churches, these people, and we need to remember that he is. This is a truth of God. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, Jesus from the opening kickoff, wants the people in Sardis and us to know that he holds the seven spirits of God. And when we went through chapter one, we saw that that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is seven spirits. It is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So right off, Jesus wants to give them and us hope. I have the answer. I have the cure for what I am about to diagnose in you. So as bad as the news is, the good is better. And I have it. So come to me. He's saying, I am the solution. Here's the problem. Okay? I'm the cure. Here's the disease. So right off, he's giving them and us hope. No matter how bad things get in your life, I am better than that is bad. You need life. I've got life for you. I invented life. I am the source of life. I am the giver of life, as we sang. I am life. And the only successful def destination of your life quest, your search for life, life is found in nowhere else but me. And as we said last week, with Jesus, the good over always overwhelms the bad. With Jesus, because of the gospel, the 
the blessing always overwhelms the curse. And that's good news. So Jesus looks at some of the people in the church in Sardis and is looking at some of us this morning and says something very sobering. He says, in a sense, I see dead people. Okay, 2,000 years before the filming of the movie, The Sixth Sense, Jesus coins the phrase, I see dead people. M. Night, Shamalama Ding Dong, whatever his name is, was a thief. He stole it. Jesus says, I see dead people. And where does he see them? In the church. In the church. That's pretty shocking. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Look at the end right there. Reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now, so before we get to the alive and dead part, there's something that, that this text brings to us that we have to work through. And that is the diff- definition, uh, that is the difference, rather, of reputation versus reality. Reputation versus reality. He says you have one reputation, but the truth is something else. Now, reputation is what we think of ourselves, what we have convinced others to believe about us, right? And that may or may not be reality, which is what God knows about us. So there's a difference often between reputation and reality, how people think of you, how you want people to think of you, and how God sees you in truth. So this ficus tree would be an example of that which has the reputation of being alive. This ficus tree, with all that it is, is trying to convince us that it is alive. But it is dead. Styrofoam. There's no root. There's no life pulsing through it. But you wouldn't know if, if you just kind of glanced over. You know, they've done a good job. They've actually used some real wood in here to throw us off. Reputation, the appearance of being alive, but is actually dead. You come back 20 years from now, this ficus tree is going to look exactly the same. Dead things have a tendency to do that. And it calls us to look at the reputation of our lives and say, I've been in church forever. I look in the mirror and I look under the surface and I'm exactly the same. And Jesus is calling us to life and transformation. Okay, um, let me tell you what the um, Facebook and the church have in common. The practice... Stick with me. This is based on a study I just made up. Um, No, but I think there's some truth in it. Um, I'll tell you when I'm lying, okay? It was just a joke. Um, As far as I can tell, the practical function of Facebook is to take your 749 friends, only 98% of whom are not really your friends, and Convince them that your life through your status updates is actually better than it is. To convince people that you are actually living the dream, loving life. I mean, read it. If you don't go on there, read it. And you'll see like, awesome this and awesome that. And here's what I had for dinner. And blah, 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 blah. I don't want photos of what you had for dinner, man. It just makes me hungry. Um, most of these people are train wrecks. Most, most of these people are train wrecks. 
And I say that with love. I really do. And what does that have to do with church? Well, for too many of us in too many places, church has become a place where it is only safe when we convince people that our lives are going better than they are, that our hearts are doing better than they are. Um, a place, and, and, and I want Bethany to be, uh, and has, we've grown so much in this area, a place where we all come together and we all just walk together to the cross because life is difficult and sin is real and brokenness is epidemic. We are a place where it is safe to be a train wreck because our lives are going to the cross, pressing into Jesus, allowing his spirit to continually transform us, to continually bring us to repentance, to continuously pour new life into us. But for too many, it's a place where we pretend to be something we're not. And, and, and the danger there is that it keeps us from asking for prayer. It keeps us from looking for help from the body, which is intended to provide that. It keeps us from responding to the gospel. It keeps us from repentance. Why? Because if we live the lie long enough, if we put it out there long enough, the worst of all possible things can happen. We begin to buy our own message of doing better than we actually are. Now, I'm not against people who are walking in righteousness and victory through Jesus Christ. I'm just saying that those times in our lives are sometimes fleeting. And when we are experiencing them, we press into those who aren't. And we're not, we, we come together. Okay, here's the unvarnished truth. Two kinds of people, those who are train wrecked by sin and admit it, and those who are train wrecked by sin and deny it. And without the continual intercession of Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit, his mercy, his grace, his love, access through our continual repentance, all the trains are going off the edge. So there's no room here. There's no room here for, I'm doing good, you are a mess, right? Reputation versus reality. He's talking to an entire church and he's saying, most of you, most of you are dead. Some of you are sleeping. And some of you are faithful. And regardless of what it is, I'm the answer. I'm the answer and I'm, I'm here for you. Okay. So reputation versus reality. Things aren't as good as they look in Sardis. The people of Sardis called themselves followers of Jesus Christ. They did not have the life. They did not have the heart to back it up. Here's the question. Do we? Do we? Let God answer that in your heart. They had the reputation of what? Being Alive, being alive. You remember that show? No? Okay. Oh, you older folks, you do. You do. That's okay. It was a less than thrilling rendition, but cut me slack. I'm a preacher, not a performer. And Jesus knew that despite outward appearances, they were dead. They were, were they physically dead? Here's where it gets confusing. Were they physically, they didn't go to a, to a church full of coffins. No, these people had a pulse in their neck. They are breathing in. They are breathing out as we sang, but not in the way that we sang it, right? There's a life that they don't have, but there's a life that they do have. It gets very confusing. And that's why people whose hearts are beating have a tremendously difficult time figuring out what it means to be spiritually dead. And you can be one and, and the other. They were never alive. How can that be? How can that be? There's 
There's scriptural truth to that. And it's right in the beginning. Right in the beginning. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 2. And God creates everything good and says this is very good, right? He, he creates Adam. He creates Eve. He, he puts our first parents into the garden. And he has one stipulation, right? He has one stipulation. It's in Genesis chapter 2. And, and God says this. The Lord commanded the man, Adam, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day, that same day, right when it happens, when you eat of it, you shall surely what? Die. You shall surely die. So what does Satan do? He, you know, he comes in and he lies, right? He's talking to Eve, you know. The serpent comes up. Adam goes, like, you talk to him. He doesn't, he doesn't do his, his manly duty and stand in between evil and his wife. He, he kind of lets her, lets her deal with it. And, and, and the serpent says, did he really say that? Oh, he says that to, to all his creation. He's a liar. He's, you be your own God. You call your own shots. You know what's best for you, don't you? He's afraid you're going to become like him. Go ahead and eat. Go ahead, take this. So she does, and she eats. And then she gives it to her husband because if something bad's gonna happen, she ain't going down alone, right? You know, you're getting in this car with me. And of course, you know, he, 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 he denied his responsibility. He takes it, he does it, and they're still, they're still beating. Their hearts are still beating. They're still breathing. So either God was lying or the death that he talked about is something other than physical death. It is something different because later in that chapter, we see um, Adam and Eve get an eviction notice from creation as God intended, from that relationship unbroken that God intended. When he evicts them, he casts. So when people say, it is good, it is very good, um, not anymore. As beautiful as the place we live is, it's frustrated. It is, it is a fallen creation. Can you imagine? As beautiful. I mean, that's one thing that, 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 that honey is it's great. It puts you in some beautiful places. Can you imagine? That's not near as beautiful as God intended. So even though Adam and Eve were alive physically, they were dead spiritually. So in our DNA, you trace our family tree back. We all go back there. Since Adam and Eve, everybody who has walked this planet, save Jesus Christ, has been spiritually stillborn. Spiritually, st- now that's an ugly image, but it gets home what we are apart from Christ. That's our DNA, right? We have a living body and a dead soul, and a dead soul is so much worse than a dead body. Why? Because our bodies are temporary. We talked about this a little bit last week, right? Our soul, our our spirit is eternal. Now, as C.S. Lewis puts it, you are not a body that has a soul. You are a soul that has a body, okay? That is the temporary part, That's the temporary part. So life in the lasting part is very, very, very important. Ephesians 2, 1 through 6 describes it perfectly. If you want to turn there, this is is 
This is it in a nutshell. And you, and it's talking to all of us, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's the enemy of your souls. That's Satan. He is your enemy. If you're walking in, well, everybody's enemy. He even abuses his own. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, and that's the DNA I talked about, among whom we all once lived, all of us, Paul included, once lived. He's talking in the past tense. In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, okay? God sees his loving creation, the people he loves. He sees you. He sees me. He doesn't stand back and just watch the carnage. He doesn't watch us expire. He takes action. But God, rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were all this bad, right? Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us, say it with me, alive together with Christ by grace. That means it's a gift. You have been saved and raised up with him. That's the good news. That's the good news. God takes a train wreck and makes a train fly. God takes a dead body and once again breathes eternal life into that which is spiritually dead. That is the good news. Why? Because Jesus came, lived that life that satisfied God, kept all the rules, fulfilled all of the law on our behalf and became our disobedience. Took it to the cross, paid for it for us as our stand-in, took our name, took our record, paid it in full, rose again. Now, he is supremely and only qualified to raise the dead. You say, well, if Jesus would raise the dead, then people would believe. He does it all the time. He did it in my life. He did it in many of yours. That's what being born again means. He comes to one who is physically alive and dead spiritually. And through his death, burial, resurrection, breathes new life into that which was dead. It's the good news. He called, you know, we call it revival, you know, literally being brought back to life. And Romans 8, 11 says this. Here's the guarantee. This is so exciting. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So that's the reason. That's the guarantee. That's how he does it. That's why before he tells them they're dead, he says, I am full of life. I have the Holy Spirit, this very Holy Spirit that raised me from the dead will raise you from the dead. Even though you're dead, you can't get up and walk and come to me. I have come to you. Just say yes. Just turn, turn to me. You've got life. You've got life in me. The life quest, I know you're on it. I created you to be on it. I'm giving you the answer. Run to me so that you will live a life of ever increasing life that is eventually swallowed up in life as opposed to the natural order of the fallen world, which is living a life of ever-increasing death that is eventually swallowed up in death. 
If you really want to be a true rebel, follow Jesus Christ. You're going against everything else. Right? Live a life of ever-increasing life that is eventually swallowed up and consumed in life. You're 80 years old. You're not dying. You're more alive than you've ever been. And he looks at a church and he says, you got a pulse, but you got no pulse. You're dead spiritually and you're hanging out in church. He can and will revive us if only we'll let him. Jesus wants us to be life junkies, life addicts, and to know that soul life, real life is only found in him. Some symptoms of being dead spiritually, your passions are your Lord. We get that from Ephesians 2. They call the shots in your life. You're free to do whatever you want. You're just not free not to do whatever you want. Do you know what I mean? Your passions, your desires are calling the shots in your life and you're powerless to do anything about it. That's who he came for. That's what he delivers us from. We know about Jesus in our head. We just don't know him personally. We know about him. We've never surrendered. We've never said, I have no life apart from you. The only way this thing is gonna live is if you hollow out all the stuff that is not of you that is killing me and you come live your life in this shell. In my case, he's got a lot of room to move around. You know. Unless you live inside me, there is no life inside me. Know about Jesus, just don't know him personally. Here's the third symptom. We call ourselves Christians. That's our reputation. But we're not followers of Jesus Christ. We, we don't have a life outside of this place that can back it up. If we didn't tell people we were believers, no one would ever guess. Right, Marge? It's one of those seeker messages for people who don't really know Christ. Well, yes and no. You're not off the hook that easy. And neither is Marge. Um, it's about those who are Christians and know it, but have fallen asleep in the faith. It's a different group that he sees. And here's how we know. Look at verse 2. Back in Revelation, here's the, uh, I know your works. You have the reputation of, oh, okay, wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains in is about to die. There are those who are about to die, for I've not found your works complete in the sight of my God, in the sight of God the Father. Wake up. Those who are not dead in Sardis, a lot of them are asleep. A lot of them are asleep. The call that he makes to the dead are, let me revive you. Those who love the Old Testament, can these bones live? Yes! Jesus specializes in raising people from the dead. He does it all the time. And the call to the sleeping is, wake up! Wake up from your slumber. Wake up from your sleep. The awful danger of being asleep for too long is Jesus says, that are about to die. About to die. Passive, fruitless, motionless, stagnant, faith in a rut. Christians about to die. Go into hibernation and you never wake up. You never get, you die. He's saying there's no time to waste. Spiritually speaking, the only difference between our bed and our grave is how long we stay there. The only difference between the rut and the grave is how long you're there. 
And he is calling out, wake up, wake up. What was today? Today was the end of daylight savings time. I think it's one of the most beautiful holidays, don't you? We got an hour more of sleep. Who loves that? I do. I think they ought to do that every week, right? After about a month, the days and nights would get mixed up, but they'll get right again for a brief day. We got an extra hours of sleep. I love sleep. I do, and I'm good at it. I'm good at it. Shree will tell you that I can fall asleep in the middle of one of my own sentences, which is not good sometimes, especially when your wife says, and here's something that's so important to me. Don't do that. I, you don't learn from my errors. Don't do that. Being asleep in our faith, Jesus says it's dangerous because it's about to die. Spiritual sleep in the church is the believer who is on autopilot, going through the motions, okay with sin, happy to coast, no growth, no power, no problem. No problem. Why? Because I had an experience in my past where I did this and I committed to Jesus and I raised my hand and I said a prayer and I signed a card and I, no problem. I'm set. Um, If we have difficulty finding where our life is in Christ, there's a good chance we, we may not have it or may be asleep. If somebody asks you a question and you panic and they say, what, what has God been doing in your life? And you're like, uh, he is alive. He is active. And if we're alive and awake, our answer should be how much time you got? How much time you got? But I know, I know what it means to panic When someone says, what is God doing in your life? What is God doing in your heart? And you're stumped and you don't know. And you don't know. Maybe sleeping. It's a huge problem. It's scary. And I'm gonna share with you one of the scariest passages in the New Testament. It's in Hebrews 6 in verse four. Here's how scary it is to sleep spiritually. Paul writes to... um, Well, um, there's debate about that, but okay. Pick it up in verse four. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted this heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. You get this tasted, sampled, nibbled at, And then have fallen away, fallen asleep. It is impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. How dangerous is being asleep, staying asleep spiritually? It takes an act of God. It takes a miracle to wake them What happens when we receive Christ and we fall away is that we vaccinate ourselves, we inoculate ourselves from the gospel, from the truth of Christ, from the power of his cross. You know how inoculations work, right? We get a little bit of 
of the thing that allows us to build up antibodies so that when the real thing comes, we can't receive it, right? We're, we fight it off. When we come to Christ and, and, and nibble at the gospel and fall away and fall asleep, we inoculate ourselves, we vaccinate ourselves from the gospel. And all that time, we build up the antibodies. And when the gospel comes before, I already got that. I already been there, done that. Yeah, I'm good with God. Keith Green, for those of you who love his um, brief work, wrote a very sobering song that um, said, the world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave and you can't even get out of bed. I was 17 and I was, I said the prayer, I'd walk the thing. I, I was trying to fool my parents, right? This weekend, I lived in New Orleans. I was staying at my friend's house, right? We're, um, he says, well, we're going to go to Gillies in Houston. I said, what? You need to come. So I went. We didn't have caller ID. I called my parents, checked in throughout the weekend. Got back, did a lot of things that my parents would not have approved of that God, who I was in a relationship with, would not approve of. And they were fooled. Um, my mom's not anymore. I, I fessed up. and um, Some of us live lives like that, not weekends like that. We're sleeping in the light, even in the midst of the proclamation of the gospel. Um, I am not here, and Jesus is not here to condemn you, but to wake you, to wake us up. And if we've never been alive to breathe life into us, his life. Now, um, if you've ever met my daughter, Quincy, you'll see her over Thanksgiving. Praise God. Um, she's coming home. Uh, she is gifted at sleep, as her father is. Um, it takes a phenomenal amount of activity and noise to wake her up. Um, I think if you landed an attack helicopter at the foot of her bed, that might work. Anything short of that, well, good luck. I saw in a catalog not long ago, there's an alarm clock um, that I, I should probably buy for her that has like one of those little spinny helicopter things on the top. And when it goes off, this, this helicopter thing flies around the room, bounces off the walls, and you have to find it and reinstall it in order to get it to stop beeping. Huh? Who's thinking? I wish I'd invented that. What does it take to wake you up spiritually? For someone to turn on the light, Jesus is doing that. To hear someone's voice calling your name, Jesus is doing that. For someone to shake you, for some of you, Jesus is doing that. Jesus is doing all these things for you and for me right now because it's so important to him to be alive and awake. It's urgent. He says, hurry up. Even the things that are alive are sleeping, most of them, and they're about to die. Act fast. You have no time to waste. You have very little time left. The chance is now to be revived. The chance is now 
to be raised from the dead, the chance is now to wake up. What are some of the symptoms of being spiritually asleep? Spiritual truths stir your emotions, but never transform your heart. We like spiritual truth because it, trans- it stirs our emotions. We never allow it to transform our heart. We have a foot in the kingdom, another symptom, we have a foot in the kingdom of God and a foot in the kingdom of the world and we like it that way. We're half committed. We're part-time Christians because we've not been enamored with, drawn to, seduced by, yielded to, surrendered to the beauty of Jesus Christ and life in him. We're still playing both sides. The gospel leads to no change of life but a rut and a feeling like we're running in place spiritually. Last symptom, coasting. Coasting. Sometime in the future, I'm really gonna get serious about this Jesus thing. Sometime when I get married, when I have kids, when I retire, when my work is so not so pressing, when our finances get straight, when, 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 and we coast until then, and the only time we have is right now, today. It is always today. When keeps moving, and it's still far away. Do it now, he says. It's about to die. What's the solution? Verse three, remember. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and Repent, turn back. If you will not wake up, I'm coming. I'm coming anyway. I don't want to come like a thief. I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come against you. He will either come for us as a long-awaited savior or against us as the bringer of justice. And he will wake us up to the reality that we are, as Ephesians 2 said, storing up wrath, children of wrath rather than children of mercy. And he only tells us these things so that we'll get real with him, so that we'll respond to him. He says, remember, remember when, for those of you who belong to Jesus Christ, remember when you would cry at the sound of his name. Remember when your soul would be thrilled by his word, by his presence by the knowledge of his love for you. Remember that? Remember when you would steal away time just to pray, just to be in his presence, just to be in his word. You remember that? Remember the sweet fellowship we used to have when you knew that your life was in me that I was not just in your life to make it better, I was your life. You remember that? You received that, you heard it, keep it, touch it, protect it, return to it. Do a U-turn, that's what repentance is. That's what we have to do all the time. Because the world chips at us, pulls at us, and we're all too happy to yield to it because we're not consumed with the goodness of God and his enoughness, his sufficiency. He is enough. And in our life quest, we have thought he needs 
Jesus plus this. Jesus, if I have that. And so we arrange our lives to have the right experiences, to have the right stuff, to have the right bank balance, to have the right trips, to have the right people. Because he's not enough. And that is the root of most sin. He's not enough. Here, eat this. I know he said it was bad for you, but he doesn't know. He's not enough for you. Yes, he is. The Christian, the follower, the faithful that Jesus sees in the church in Sardis who are going to walk with him in white, they're not dead. They're alive. Not because of their own efforts, but because they have allowed Jesus to take up residency and live his life once again in their life. And so here we are. We're all on a life quest. And ours can end successfully now. And our life quest can be transformed into not finding life, but pouring life into others, leading them to the source of life. It is only found in Jesus Christ. Remember this, soul life does not come from the outside in. All the things that we just described. It does not happen from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. Jesus transforms us, lives inside us, forgives us, gives us new life, and it works its way out in our thoughts, in our behaviors, in our actions. Okay? Simple morality outside of Christ creates a righteousness that he sees as worthless. Some of us are much better than this ficus tree at looking alive. You gotta look under the surface and see that there's no life there. What if though? What if? What if the most spiritually alive that we've ever been is just a hint of what it could be if we fully allowed Jesus to revive us, to wake us up, to fill us with new life? We have an opportunity to make that true. The people in the church of Sardis had an opportunity to make that true. Jesus specializes in raising the dead. Jesus specializes in waking the sleeping. Jesus specializes in bringing new life where there is only death. What if the most spiritually alive that we have ever been is just a hint of what he is calling us to? You have a chance to respond to the gospel, as do I. Jesus is standing on your bedside, turning on the light, calling your name, maybe even shaking you. Beloved, it's time to wake up. I have something thrilling for you to do with me today. And it is live like you have never lived before. A life that is ever increasing life that will be transforming to you and to others 
and will be consumed in life. Question is, will we throw back the sheets, say yes, turn around and say, that is what I need. That is what I've been looking for. That is the hunger of my soul. That church was full of people who did not get that. We can. We can. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Here is what's before you and me this morning. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him for he is your life. I plead with you as does the voice of God, choose life. There are many reasons not to respond. Your reputation. People may think you are not the believer that you've wanted them to think you are. You're not the husband, the wife, the family, the Christian, the leader, the you name it. But that's reputation. And reality is something different. This is a place where we don't follow reputation. We follow the reality of Jesus Christ. I want the reputation of being the most repentant. The one most in need of Jesus Christ. Because without him, I can't even read his word without exploding in judgment. How about you? Paul called himself the chief of all sinners. It's one of my qualifications for being here. (laughs) Is that I know that the only life, the only hope that I have are in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I, I, I pray um, that we would be bold enough in the call of your Holy Spirit, in the truth of your word, that those of us who are dead inside, where it matters, might come and have you bring life. Lord, I, I pray that um, those who are cruising on reputation might look at reality and know that your heart is toward them and that you came for them, lived for them, died for them, rose for them and might cast themselves fully upon you and your love and your mercy and your grace. I pray that the sleeping might hear your voice, see your light and wake up and wake up and be revived, Lord. There is no time to waste. You are coming and we want to live ready. Still praying there are those here who um, you'd say, yeah, yeah. The sleeping part, um, I've been coasting 
and uh, I want to come. I know the Spirit of God is here. I know the truth of His Word and His promise. I've been sleeping, and and I want to wake up. Just lift your hand to God. That's you. I just invite you to do that. All right, God bless you, buddy. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I'm still praying there there are some here, and, and when we read the truth of of our heritage, of, of being dead on the inside. He said, well, that's me. That is me. I, uh, I know about Jesus, but I have never received that new life. My heart is beating. I'm still taking breath, but my soul is dead. And I need new life. I need to come to Jesus and have him raise me from the dead. I, I want to I want to receive Jesus Christ right now. Just lift your hand up to God. Just raise your hand up. I'll pray with you. I'll pray for you. If that's in your heart, just express that to God during our time of response. We're going to eat the bread of life.